Hello, and welcome to Tell the Damn Story, the podcast that celebrates the trials and tribulations, the challenges and joys of creativity, and hopefully along the way, helps you decide how you want to tell your damn story. And doing that is me, Chris Ryan. Uh, I am uh, author of uh, supernatural detective novels uh, featuring Mallory and Gunner and a sci-fi high school thriller, uh, Genius High, and a kind of warning about term two called A Simple Rebellion. <laughs> term two. I'm also a former journalist and a longtime teacher and an independent author, as you have just heard, and I'm now beginning to be traditionally published. So that's me. And with me is the legendary comic book scribing iconic teenage detectives writing, great underused character developing, and globe-trotting creator of the world-renowned Blackjack, the African-American soldier of fortune set in the 1930s, whose adventures reflect today's problems. The one, the only, Alex Simmons. Thank you so much, everybody. The crowd went well. Ah, Yay, yay, and yay. Now, if, you, uh, if you're new to the show, please uh, hit subscribe so you can get more of our antics. Um, and we got today, more. Right, today, we are going to speak about, well, you know what? Honestly, folks, I don't know. Because Alex <laughs> texted me and said, hey, today we're going to talk about 10 questions. And I said, great. What questions? He says, I'm not telling you. <laughs> so <laughs> we're going to just fly by the seat of Alex's pants today. Uncomfortable. Luckily, what's going on here today? Hey, Chris. Hey, Chris. Sorry, I stepped all over your intro, but you know it was fun. Um, yeah, you know we're flying because last week in our in our last episode, uh, we actually asked people, you know, tell us what what challenges are you facing as creatives, as writers in particular? Um, what would you like to to hear from us and all that kind of stuff? And some people, you know, through various channels, actually responded. So today, I gathered up. 10 questions from multiple sources, emails, and so forth. And here we are. We're going to actually answer these directly. And then, of course, don't worry, folks. If the questions that you're having aren't here, don't worry about it. Send them in, or if the ones that are already in, I'll try and get to next time. But these, I thought, were great questions to pull forward first because they reflect some of the other uh, queries that have come in, not only through you know, our doing the show, but also from the various classes and things. And we've spoken about some of these things over the 153 episodes that we've done. Yeah, right. Notice that number, folks, actually. Actually, I think this is number 153. I'll have to check. And we are, um, we are going to be sending out some pictures of this episode on social media because Alex and I are inadvertently dressed as twins. Um, so. yeah, you can't tell us apart. <laughs> nope, nope. So uh, let's see what happens. Yeah. Um, let's get to the first the vi- one. For the visuals, I have a new feature where I'm going to just be featuring different stuff in my background. Yes. Um, uh, authors we love, good friends of ours, or, or heroes. Oh, I and hope. That'll, that'll be another reason to get that stuff up on social media. Yeah, yeah. So I'm ready. I've strapped in my seatbelt. I am ready for the 10 questions. What is this? This episode will be called The 10 Questions. The 10 questions dun, dun, dun. Or Alex okay so Mills these are not any you know, I, didn't, 
I didn't set these up in any particular order, so they're going to come at you a little helter-skelter. This is going to be fun. So let's start with the very first one. I mean, how do you conclude stories without leaving potholes, you know, stuff that somehow you omitted to resolve or you omitted putting a button on because they happen somewhere else in the story and somehow you just didn't deliver on that? The magic of rewrites. That's how you do it. <laughs> uh, we've said many a time here that the first time you write the story, the first draft is telling yourself the story. And the second time you're kind of cleaning it up and all that stuff. But in that right rewriting process, you know, you're rereading, you're checking and you're making notes um, about stuff that's missing. You know, uh, my editor has the 20th rewrite of City of Blow right now, which is, uh, I, I, I may I may retitle that. But um, you may retitle the book. I'm, 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 thinking about it. I don't know. Oh, okay. There's a, a ton of city titles out there. City of this, city of that, you know, city of dandruff, which was this very disturbing book. Um, <laughs> but well, well, the reason the why sequel? I, in Blue. Oh, that's right. That's <laughs> the sequel. Um, the reason why I rewrote this, even though, you know, it had gone in some uh, uh, applause or whatever was because uh, exactly what the question is asking, you know, there were things that I felt were unfinished that could have been done better that didn't age well um and it's the power of rewrite you know so that's my answer what's your answer alex well actually, i liked your answer no but i will also you know add that in rewrites like chris his particular story you know he'd written some time ago and he it, it actually had been published uh as an independent and he got some accolades on it but he still felt you know i can i can i can up my game and in taking it back to a, a uh, an editor of some renown and and established in the industry, uh, they did find some things that yeah you could rework and improve on, and that's what Chris willingly went to. And I bring that up because the rewrites, some people resist rewrites because you're afraid, you know, you, either you think or some people think it's perfect, you know, the first time out wrong, or they're afraid that if they start changing things. They're going to lose their way, or they're going to ruin it, or they're going to, it's somehow going to get more broken. And that's exactly the opposite. It's you give yourself to that process of creating and going in and looking. Don't be afraid to find holes. Don't be afraid to improve on. Don't be afraid to tie things together that you missed maybe the first or second or even third time. Don't be afraid to do that because you, as Chris likes to say, your job is to serve the story, not serve you serve the story make it the best story you can so improving it closing those holes do that and yes the absolute one of the best ways is to reread and rewrite the other way is to find a, a small small cadre of trustworthy ethical people that you can show your work to let them read it because they're outside your head so maybe in reading it, they'll spot something, they'll come up with questions that you wouldn't have thought of because you've got that info in there, but it somehow didn't make it to the book. So I would say that's another backup. I would add to that to know who is in that circle and yeah. what what their function is. Like yeah, a real filter. Yeah. yeah, well, because you're not going to get the same thing from everybody, but sometimes there's someone in there that you need. For example, and, and I'm at risk of, uh, uh, you know, sleeping in the doghouse here tonight, but um, 
the goddess is the first one to read all the words, right? Mm -hmm. But I know what I'm getting from her because when I, and many writers, maybe you will agree with this, when you're finished, you know, there's that moment of elation and then you get to breathe three breaths, three. Mm -hmm. And on the fourth breath, doubt creeps in. Mm. <laughs> right? <laughs> so, so the goddess, she's a former pre-K teacher and she, I know she's going to say something positive and going to love something because of her relationship with me, you know, so I'm not getting every once in a while, she'll give me an editorial comment, but most of the time it's kind of, you know, listen, I don't know why you're feeling this big depression and walking around and just mumbling. It sucks. It sucks. It sucks. It doesn't. Right. Um, so it just, it gives you just that equilibrium to, to, to take the next step. I have another person who I know she is going to catch the typos. You know, mm. I have another person, uh, especially for the Mallory and Gunner stories, who is a, a retired police officer. And he is going to just absolutely staple gun me to the wall if Ow. I get a, if I get a police fact wrong, you know? So know what they're bringing to it. And remember that unless you're paying them, they're doing you a favor. Yeah, they so are. So if they say something, you have to be gracious. And mm -hmm. take notes. Okay. Yeah. Boy, there's a lot of answers for that number one. That was really yeah. number one through seven, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so here's here's a, here's one that we both have have faced numerous times. How do you defeat that's what I, that's what I think that thing is, right? And the second version of writer's block that I will recognize is if you're going in the wrong direction with the story. Mm. Okay? And you know there's the, the there's that whatever that spiritual thing is that that gets you to be a writer uh, will hold you back and I'm writing a story now. It's a 500 word story, 500 words. Knocked it out and it's not right. <laughs> so I did three different complete rewrites on it. And then I walked away from it and and literally walked around, walked around my house, walked around the blocks because quarantine, America's yeah. not open to us. Um, and rethought it completely. Why, why is this bothering me? And I think that's a useful thing. If you get writer's block, okay, what is it? Do I not know enough? Go and Google the background, you know, 1930s. I'm always, whenever I get a, a lucky enough to write a blackjack story, I'm always researching something about, you know, 1930 something Olympics or, uh, you know, what tanks existed then and all that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. um, that helps and that always spurs ideas. Or if you feel really blocked, you got to ask yourself, where am I going? The hardest thing in the world is to be honest with yourself. Are you you know, block because you don't have one of those pieces of information or are you procrastinating for some other reason? You know, sometimes I procrastinate because I'm following my wife around. You know, that's, that's not being a professional writer. You know, you got to get yourself back in that room and get your hands on the keyboard, you know. And the button to see, uh, yeah. Button to see, well, you know what? Um, 
I, I have a standing desk now. Oh, now you're going to be difficult about it. <laughs> well, listen, Bud the Seed has created gut in the front. So, yeah. you know. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I hear you. Let me let me jump on this. I'm just going to add one more thing to, to what you're saying. Uh, sometimes, you know, because Chris is right, sometimes it's procrastination. And, and in that is because you don't know enough and so forth. Sometimes it is you don't trust yourself. You, you, you're getting into that whole, um, uh, what do they like to call it, uh, imposter syndrome. I'm not really a writer. I can't really do this. I can't really do that. And that's another thing that you've got to deal with is, is are you trying to tell yourself you're something that you're not? Or actually, are you just afraid that you can't? You know, and ultimately, I think that's a question that we need to ask ourselves at the time. If you, can, if you can sit down and write a story, you're writing. That's what you're doing. Do you think, oh, I need to be a professional writer in order to consider myself a writer? No, you don't. Do I need to already be published by the big dogs before I can? No. You are sitting down and you are on the journey to being a writer. And so part of that is not judging yourself, but getting the work done, following some of the things that Chris has outlined, and then letting the exploration of the work, either yourself or giving it to other people to read, let that determine whether or not you think the work is ready for prime time. Right. I would say two, two, I would add two things. One, okay. that voice, that, that doubting voice. The I always, one on the left shoulder or the right shoulder? Yeah, I always put yeah. it on my shoulder, and that's yeah. that doubt. It's the editor. You know, yeah. it's yourself. And you can tell them, okay, listen, you got five minutes to complain everything you want, and then shut the hell up. <laughs> Second thing I would say is about, you know, about that I'm not a good enough writer, right? Okay. Shakespeare wrote sonnets. Charles Bukowski wrote poetry, too. These two gentlemen could not be further apart stylistically. You know, um, Shakespeare had perfect form and invented words and, and, and was absolutely breathtaking. And uh, Bukowski, he was like an anvil in your face. And both of their poems, uh, poetry, gorgeous, beautiful, because they were both absolutely true to their art. That's all you need to do is be absolutely true. You know, write one true thing. I think that, uh, who was that? Uh, the Sun Also Rises. Um, well, don't do what's that. His, uh, what's his name? Oh, God, it's, it's, I'm blocked on it now. Yeah, I'm blocked too. Sun of, oh, God, uh, okay. Old Man in the Sea. This is um, Hemingway, isn't it? Hem no, uh, yeah. yeah, Hemingway. He said, just write one true thing. <laughs> Yeah. And then write one more truth, one truth, small sentence, one true thing, and then follow. And that's what you do. You know, and if you feel like your stuff is shit, ask it, is it true? Yeah. Am I telling the truth? My truth? Or am I bullshitting? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And if so, if you just, you know, if you, well, I thought this would be cool. But get out of here with that. Yeah. You know, you know what the coolest thing is? The stuff that goes from your heart to the reader's heart. That's the coolest thing. All right. So we've gotten through two parentheses, 38 questions. Go ahead. What yeah, else you right. got, bro? <laughs> how do you stay? How do you stay focused on your plot and not drift off into other ideas? Let me show you. He's reaching for something, folks. Ah, he's holding up. Oh my God! No. Yeah, index cards. Oh, index yes. cards. Explain uh, index cards. Okay. Uh, again, we've spoken about this on the show before, but you know, you find what works for you, right? Um, I, I saw someone was on Instagram today, this morning, selling a deck of cards, okay? The historic cards or something like that. God right. bless them. Anyone yep. who it works for? Yeah, myself, yep. Right? And they, they said that it's 
the cards tell you the parts of the hero's journey. Well, I've been teaching the hero's journey for what 25 years yeah you know i i know the hero's journey right and then you take the cards and you post them up on a wall and you fill in your so well that's i mean that's what you do with the index six one hand a half a dozen the other i do that with index cards right yeah again here's the process when i feel a story is there it's coming i just put a a, a stack index card in and a pen in my pocket and and you know it and i just tell the brain to go right think about it and then i might be you know uh i might be teaching or i might be at a store with, uh, with the goddess you know whatever and or you know could be watching some depressing news but it pops out another idea i write it and i write right, you're not going to see it here because there's, there's a different function these are notes but on the blank side i write the big idea fight scene love scene you know whatever it is mm-hmm. uh Mallory chases the bulldog. Okay. And on the line side, every idea for that scene I can muster. It's a smidge of uh, uh, dialogue. It's a detail. It's a plot point, whatever. And if it doesn't have to be in exact order, they're just as long as they're there. Sometimes, you know, my I, uh, this generation, uh, and, and I guess really from our generation, from television on, we started to see things visually. So mm-hmm. I, uh, I may see this uh, rough of the scene. Um, and then if, if if it's more than one card, then it's one of two, two of three, whatever it is. Exactly. And I put it, so by the time I'm done and I and I kind of gather them around and organize them into a story, I have the basic plot. That keeps me online. Other people, I know you do mind maps. Other people have to have um, a, a big chart. board, you know, a chart. Yeah. Whatever yeah. works, that's great. Many people say they're just pantsers. And if that is what works with you, fine. You know, um, I'm somewhere, I'm mostly I'm a hybrid on this planner, but within the scene, I'll pants a little bit, you know, but um, we'll find what works with you. And that's what keeps you on your plot. Absolutely. That sounds good. And I think all of that is right dead on. And the only thing I would add to that is for the digital minded people who don't know what a pen or a paper or a postcard or index card is, you know, you've got all kinds of features on your phone, your tablet, your laptop, where you can drop notes. You know, and there's mm-hmm. several different softwares out there that people are selling for you to organize notes. And for you screenwriters, within Final Draft and within some of the other software, there are places, there are literally virtual index cards that you can play with. So it's still the same mindset. Get your ideas down however you do it, in such a way that you're not trying to judge them, just get them down so that you can refer to them later and organize them into a trail that you can follow while you're writing. So let's move and on to the you know, Pre-writing doesn't have to be chronological. Right. When I, whatever exactly. ideas come. You're writing out of sequence because that's where the ideas are coming. Once you start organizing, then you know where you have to go. Right. Yeah. And even that can change in the process. All right, so I we're agree. gonna move along. We're gonna move along because we got, we got a few other questions here. Who created the, the gothic? No, that's the wrong question. Um, how do, oh, you, this is a perfect one for you. How do you, well, so far they all have been done. How do you schedule writing time and how do you stick to it? All right, well, when I was a young man, I worked on a tiny paper in the Bronx. Uh, I was the Bronx Times reporter for a while, then it was the Bronx Press Review. And then it was 9-11, the Bronx Bulletin. And all of those had no clock. 
you know, you just, if you wanted to be a press release paper, which means you just took out the press releases and used all of that. For, right. You know, you could, and then you could work nine to five. Um, my, uh, my buddy, Eric Gerard and I, uh, and then uh, Times reporters, a guy named John Colossi, um, they wanted to cover real news. So that meant you had to be out there to cover the stuff that dailies wouldn't cover. Because if you covered a daily thing and you didn't come out for five days, your story would be stale. So, yeah. you know, yeah, but it was the Bronx. So it would be the small murders, you know. The <laughs> small <laughs> murders. It's the small murders. Another um, mouse has been shot. No, okay, go ahead. You know, um, and I don't mean disrespect by that, but, you know, there are some things that mm -hmm. didn't get covered by the dailies. Uh, but that would require, once, once I kind of got a little bit of a reputation, um, and gave my phone number to cops, they would call at two or three in the morning. And, you know, hey, we just got this big bus, man. We got tables full of crack and guns. I'd go out and take a picture, ask a few questions, you know, and go write the story, whatever. Um, but it wrecked my sleep pattern. So I would always wind up getting up early. And then, you know, when I got out of that into another uh, 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 living situation, which was teaching, and had kids, I found that it worked really well to get up at that time and write for a couple of hours before the kids got up. Because once, you know, we had twins. Mm. And once they got up, you know, it, there was no writing going on. You're just chasing them and trying to, you know, catch the lamps before they go down. So um, that became my, uh, my way. Now that they're grown up, and especially during COVID, you know, I could come into this little tiny room that I have full of bookshelves and, you know, sometimes I do two sessions a day, three sessions, sometimes just one. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it was like dragging, you know, a dead body in, you know, and they just, I, I need a break today or whatever. So, so, um, so what do you say? Do you, do you set a schedule for yourself? I used to, I used to now, um, well, because mostly because of COVID, because there isn't uh, time or days or months anymore. Mm -hmm. There's just endless angst. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so when uh, when I'm not teaching, which uh, in COVID it took more time and energy than when it was live in front of students, which is uh, shocking and draining. But you know, for this summer, which uh, kind of, you know, there was no break from school to summer, so it was weird to figure out when it all started. Um, I just used all that time I used the teaching in this room to go writing. So instead of the getting up at three or four in the morning, you know, sometimes that happened and then I could get some writing and that would be good. Um, but I would, uh, especially if, if uh, the goddess went to, uh, I go to the store or go to a mom's to help her parents out and, you know, that was my excuse, you know, to, to not be in this room because I was going to go see what my wife was doing. Yeah. But if she wasn't around, then I had no excuse, you know, because the guys were like, leave me alone. Yeah. Um, so sometimes it became more hours. But that's what you have to do. Find the time. It's, I mean, that was a long-winded way of saying find the time. Um, my big uh, uh, challenge is that I, I find myself not writing every single day, and I want to get to writing every single day. Uh, when the kids were small, I only had that small window of opportunity. Now that I, you know, kind of have a wide, this summer I've had a wide window, it was all window, 
then I would always say, oh, I'll write later. Or that's a dangerous thing. Yeah. Get that yeah. schedule. These are my hours where I'll be in there. You know? I, and, I would... and because you're a modern author, you also have to set a schedule for this half an hour or this 45 minutes. I'm on social media, responding to people, posting stuff. Because otherwise, right. either it'll take over your life or it's a rabbit hole. It. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I would just add quickly that um, most assuredly, what I tend to say to my students is if you do nothing more than write for 20 minutes to a half hour a day, you, you're writing, you know, and you're getting that done. But I agree, ultimately, especially if you're working on a bigger project uh, and you have a deadline, you've got to give yourself time to do that. You've got to, you've got to set it. And, and some recommend mornings. I mean, I know not everybody's a morning person, but sometimes you can get into that morning session like you used to and get up earlier than everybody else. Give yourself that hour or half hour or whatever. I know several writers, uh, including, if I remember right, even uh, the, the Harry Potter author uh, spoke about, because she had children too and she was a single mom, is that you get up early before the kids, put in that hour or two, whatever you can give yourself, and then know that once that time is up, boom, the rest of the world comes rushing into your door and, and that's where you are until sleep time. Go to bed early. Over. But you got to give yourself sacred time whether it's an hour and two hours or even a half hour, but that's your time. That's sacred time. And you, you give it to yourself as a present. If you don't give it to yourself, then yourself is saying something. All right. We were, um, uh, there's one last thing. Some yeah, people do, so go ahead. Yeah. Some people do word counts. I'm going to ah. do a thousand words a day, 500. If that works better for you, then there, there's something. Yeah. Yeah. And, oh, and one other quick thing. Sometimes if it's a matter of, and again, this might even be good for some of you moderns, uh, if it's a matter of word count, but also a matter of uh, time, you can dictate faster than you can type. So if you have... That's, we should do a whole episode on that because yeah. I'm searching for a reliable working... Or whatever, yeah. You know, yeah, my, my dragon is outdated now, so it doesn't yeah. work as well. But as that, is, that is something, especially for those of you who, have the, you know, who keep buying an iPhone every year. Uh, you have you have your sensitive mic, you have notebook and things on there. You can dictate 500 words in a matter of minutes. You know, it doesn't have to be perfect words. You just dictate the material. It's in there. Upload it to Google Doc or whatever later and then sit there with the keyboard and do your thing. Okay, I got to I think when I, when I, dictate, I have five. to be very clear yes. or else my Bronx accent creates an entirely different, different script, which could be interesting. <laughs> so let's think about that. Yeah. Yeah, for the, actually, some of my students have said that too. Well, my accent this, my accent that. You know, again, get words down. Get them digitally down. Get them written down with a pen and paper. It doesn't matter. Get it done. And so at least the volume of material is increasing and you can go in and do your edits, your rewrites and all that later. Uh, like I said, we may only get to five questions today, folks, but we're going to see how that happens. So, uh, yeah, that was, you know what? Fine. Uh, yeah. so the question is, how do I avoid giving or putting too much detail into a story or a scene? How do I know when enough is enough or it's becoming a problem? Okay. Uh, first draft, don't worry about it. Just write. Um, I think I find what works for me is reading it out loud mm. because if you hear it goes on and on or if it feels like it's, lump, you know, just laborious, then trim it down. Um, uh, my editor also pointed out to me that I, I like to describe things in three. 
and she's so gracious. She said, sometimes one really well-chosen one does it better. <laughs> <laughs> so that, is, that was an, uh, an activity for one of my passes was to, to search specifically for when I uh, describe things in, you know, like the comedy rule of threes, you know, but mm -hmm. in, you know, boom, boom, boom. And then I said, okay, of these three, which says it, or, or how can I combine this? So it says, and that is just the rewrite. I wouldn't worry about overwriting in your first draft. Just get it down. And then it's the craft of writing. Then you can go back and see. And that's when you have to be vigilant about that editor on top, because he will say, that sucks, that sucks. Or she will say, look how that's it. Shut up. You know, either li listen to the editor for five minutes, then shut it up. or just go and and again that that uh a mono i have or whatever serve the story that's the question every paragraph every description every sentence every phrase does it serve the story does it serve to advance the story do we need to know that mm -hmm. do we need to know that does that pay off down the line there exactly exactly and i really don't have anything to add to that so there <laughs> okay hmm. So, num well, I won't number, just the next one. How do you lay out a story so you know what should happen next, not just what you want to happen next? Well, I think there's a danger in that question. Okay? Mm. With respect, with respect, if you always think about what should happen next, you're going to write a story that's already been written. Mm. You know? This is uh, oh, this should happen and this should happen because that's what always happens. Maybe one of the things that you need to do is say, well, that always happens. How about if I go this way? You know, um, again, I don't have what should happen next when I'm at the index card stage. Um, I just amass things that sh could be in there, could. Mm -hmm. And then you got to be ready to slay your babies. You know, there was a great Ouch. scene. Ouch. Yeah, well, you know, sorry to say that, but there was a great scene that existed through almost the uh, the 10th um, rewrite of City of Wall, where uh, they were in a morgue. And uh, Gunnar was trying to explain the size difference of these particular corpses and what he, the person that he saw. And he laid down on an empty gurney next to these burned char corpus, corpses and he's making his point and he's a big sloppy guy you know and he's leaning over he leans over a little too far and the gurney tips over and in his panic he grabs whatever's next which is the gurney with the corpses and he brings them down on himself well one of my editors one of my pre-readers she absolutely it was her great loves the scene one of her favorite scenes and i cut it because it was disrespectful to the bodies it it slowed down the advancement of the of the plot, you know, um, and it was written for the punchline, not to advance the story. So as much as I had a fun time in that scene, it didn't serve the story, so it had to go. She still complains to me every time she sees me. That's the part. That's part of the job, right? So there you go. Well, that King moment who put everything back in that had been taken out, but you know that's that's Stephen. He can do that. Yeah, it's a whole different thing. <laughs> I would. I would. When you get to be Stephen King. You don't need to listen to us. Yeah. I, I, yeah. Right. Okay. <laughs> um, 
I would I would look at that question a little differently, uh, not to counter anything with you, said, but just just approaching it from a different side. What should happen next, as opposed to what you want happen next? I would say that if you're going off of what you want to happen next, what you want to happen next, what you want to happen next, to me that's almost like you you've become uh, stuck in the scenario of I'm not developing this story. I'm 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 saying I want this, and so that's what should happen. And ultimately, if that's not true to the nature of what's going on, if that's not true to the character that you're dealing with at that particular time, then you're getting in the way of serving the story. So I think a certain amount of flexibility is necessary because really what you want to do is let the story develop. You may have, and we talked about this, you may have an outline of what's supposed to happen scene for scene for scene to, to get from the beginning to the end. But that's all it is. It's an outline. It's a basic concept of what I think the story is supposed to do. Once you get into writing it, the story is telling you what's happening. And if you reach a point where your character is saying, I wouldn't do that, and you go, no, you have to because I, I want this to happen so that can happen. No, no, no. The character is saying, that's not how I would do this. You've already written my personality. I wouldn't do this. So then you got to go, okay, so what would happen here? What, 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 how would the character really work? And then you explore that. Let yourself explore it. You know, the outline is not rigid. It's not carved in stone. It's written in pencil. Light it's a blueprint. Pencil. The numbers it's a blueprint. It's right. blue pencil, uh, right. And, and, and the two things, um, if you do your character work beforehand, you know, we have those questionnaires, mm -hmm. you know, character bios, you'll know who this character is. And it would stick out that that would not be his or her kind of behavior. You know, exactly. Yeah, yeah, that's important. Okay, so we, we have time for like two more questions. All right, then. All right, so let's see here. Um, no, I'm not going to change the order. I'm just going to keep going. Well, all right. What is meant by, and this, this, is, this is like a very suggestive question, but I know what hey, it's meant. You ready for this now? What is meant by the squishy middle of a story? Oh, well... When an author and a story have known each other for quite a long oh, time. Oh, behave. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, beginnings are easy because you know you have to introduce that kind of stuff. And endings are, are thought to be easy because you kind of should know where you want to go, right? Mm -hmm. The middle part is has been uh, called the squishy middle. It's also been called the you know, the wasteland, desert, and all that yeah. sort of stuff. Again, I think the the way to avoid that is uh, the breaking down, the breaking down. You know, if, if you're going to look at uh, your, um, you know, they say the three-act structure, but I always see it as at least four acts, you know, okay. because uh, the first, you know, quarter of the book might be, or if it's a film script, the first 30 pages is set up to this turnaround, this thing that happens that forces you into the special world of the story, right? There's the, the character's life, the protagonist's life will never be uh, uh, the same. They have to react to this thing. And at around if in a script, it would be around the 90 page, but you know, the last quarter of a novel, it's you know the climax is happening and this the denouement you know denouement excuse me mm -hmm. that middle part okay I love so, it when you speak French well yeah, I do it so badly <laughs> um, 
<laughs> so once you go into the special world of the story, right? You your character is forced to take some kind of action. Well, then this they have to get to know who's in that world, who's the enemy, who's not, right? This is all hero's journey stuff, mm-hmm. and they're building up to where they have to face a certain kind of truth or where the reality of the situation becomes absolutely clear and then they are racing to solve the problem to find the person to you know uh, defeat the witch whatever it is you know and that'll bring us to the ultimate climax now how you avoid that becoming a squishy middle is characters you do your character bios, you figure out who they are, and you make sure that they are the kind of people who will create conflict. You know, if you are here, your protagonist and antagonist agree, you don't have a story, mm. right? Uh, what does each character want? What are they willing to get, uh, uh, to do to get it? What is keeping it from them? These are all things that get you all the way through that middle. I think. One of the secrets of the squishy middle is that it's squishy like a heart. Mm. And it's an area where, with care and with serving the story, that's where you can really express some of your deepest beliefs that force you to write, you know, uh, uh, as a calling. So I think take that negative and put it into a positive, you. you know. I would I would um, say a couple of things about this. One is uh, I agree with you about the, the the character development. I think that's key because you need to know who's going on this journey and what they're going to go through and how they will respond. You'll learn some of that as you're writing, but you really need to have a sense of who they are. You're putting these people out into this situation. What would they do? How will they deal with it? That's part of what we get caught up in watching or reading the story. Another thing they talk about uh, in general, and again, I always say, you know, writing is is a very personal thing and you you should take from your instructors and your sources what works for you. And you've been saying this too, you know, find what works for you. But, you know, they always say that part of the structure of building a story like this is you're constantly putting your your hero or your, your lead character against the obstacles and they're trying things and it's not working and it's not working and it's not working and it's mounting to the point where it looks like there's no way they can overcome this thing. And that's about, about where you are in the middle of the story. It's like, shit, everything I've done has just made it worse or stuff keeps coming at me. I, I, I don't know what I'm going to do. And the artist is left with, is this ever going to work? Is this a love story? Are they ever going to get together? If it's a horror story, are they ever going to escape the monsters? The, 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 the Avengers uh, Age of Ultron was, was a great example of this. And by the time they hit their squishy middle, it's when what was left of the Avengers wound up on Hawkeye's farm. And they're having this moment where we just got our butts handed to us. I think one of us is dead. Another one is missing. And I don't know that we can take this thing. And, and that's where the human elements, the, the, the facing the, the monster and all that is, is there. And can I do this? Can I do this? Can I do this? And then they realize... We have to. We have to try. Even if we're going to fail, damn it, we've got to try, and let's go for it. And again, structurally, this is where, okay, you've tried this, 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 and this, and it's failed. Come up with a plan. Come up with whatever it is. Go at it again. And learn from what you've just suffered and try this next thing. And that's where, okay, now it's starting to come together. Now some things are starting to work. Maybe, Maybe I know who to go to for such and such. 
Maybe we figured out, I, I suck at this, but you're good at it, and I can do this. And then that's that scene where we're passing off, and we're all going to gonna take this thing down, whatever it is. We're going to overcome this thing by working with what we've learned from the beginning to this point. And that gets through. If I can add quickly to that, of course you can. Uh, your, your example You're going of that, to anyway. <laughs> <laughs> your example of that of um, Age of Ultron, uh, that's the Marvel movie uh, uh, or the Avengers movie that gets uh, dissed a lot. But you know, and and there were a lot of outside forces forcing this scene or that scene. Mm-hmm. But that particular uh, uh, risk that uh, Whedon took, whatever you think of Whedon, God bless you, but um, when he said we're going to take them all to the farm, it, it is worth your time studying because, like you said, you know, it, it, it is that squishy middle. By taking them and, and making them, allowing them to retreat to catch their breath, it also took them to a place where each and every one of them got to either see what they were fighting for, you know, Hawkeye's a regular guy and his is his family and this is this is his piece, right? Or got to contrast it with what they didn't have. Mm. Notice that Thor left almost immediately, right? He stepped on toys, he looked at the kids, he said, this is not my place. I have to go and find some answers, right? And, uh, Banner and Black Widow had their conversation about, we can never have this, and found out who or what they could be, and on and on. You know, uh, Cap and uh, Tony Stark had that argument where he rips that log apart and says, every time someone tries to stop that, you know, all that stuff. And then Tony and uh, Nick Fury have their scene, you know. Even Hawkeye has a scene with his wife Mm -hmm. where he says, you don't think I fit in. Well, that's really responding to the fans who don't understand the value of Hawkeye. Mm-hmm. But she says, no, 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 they need you. And that's what really scares me. They're a mess. They need you, right? And there's so much rich storytelling in there that if, if you're wondering how to handle this squishy middle, go and watch that film. Don't worry about any other film. Just watch how that one develops mm-hmm. and how they use that thing in the middle which we didn't had a fight for. They wanted to throw that out. Yeah, you know? because they didn't get it. They didn't see it. They didn't, they didn't get it. But that's great. That's a great example. Yeah. Okay. That's all we have time for today, folks. Um, both both Chris and I are, are, are wrestling other beasties, and so we've got to get back to that. Back, Lothar. Back. Back. Okay. But we will return next week. And so in the meantime, please, more more questions, more requests. Please do. It's great. And we will hammer into those. And we got a few other surprises coming over the next few episodes because we are in. We're not in our squishy middle. We did 150 episodes. We're moving towards 200. And we want every one of them to be rock solid, powerful, wonderful, exciting and fun filled moments for those of you, our listeners. Yeah, this is kind of a listener mailbag. Uh, yeah, I, I, it was I, really refreshing. It's like so a Stan Lee kind of thing, right? Yeah. yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah. So. Uh, keep the questions coming and uh, keep writing the story. Keep serving the story. Keep telling your the damn story. Damn story. All right. So, Alex, peace to you, my brother. I know Same you got some stuff to jump off to. Best of luck. I'm going to go do what I do, and we will be here again next week. You got it. Take care, man. Peace. Peace.